the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We do something that God doesn't do. We end up sometimes punishing ourselves even after the fact that He's forgiven us. We become our worst critics. And we beat ourselves up. And it's hard sometimes for people just to rest in the grace of God, in the forgiveness of our Lord who died on a cross for our sins, who said, it is finished. It is done. I have paid the price. You know, when he said it is finished, it's one word in the Greek. It's tetelestai. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Are you able to forgive yourself? Pastor Gary reminds you today that when Jesus went to the cross, he said, it is finished. He said this in relation to you and your regrets. He said it so that you could know that there's no longer any need for you to carry the baggage of your past. If you have Jesus in your heart, then the sins of your past and even your future have been wiped clean. There's no need for doubt, fear, or regret. Seek the path that Jesus has in store for you and forget all other things. Hold your head up high, for you are saved. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Every book of the Old Testament shows Jesus in some aspect. And I've quoted Graham Scroge often, uh, but he was a, a Bible scholar and pastor of a century ago, and he said, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Because every book of the Bible points to Christ in some way. In verse 8, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. First covenant, second covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy. Please underline that or highlight that in your Bibles. I'll come back to it. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And here's that phrase again, once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Talking about the earthly priest back in, in, these, in these times. Again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
right? It just only temporarily appeases the wrath of God, but it can't really take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, meaning Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, he ascended back up into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God right now. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Now, I want you to highlight that phrase too, being made holy. Um, First, notice where he speaks there in verse 13 about, you know, he's waiting for the time that his enemies will be made his footstool. You know, there's a progression of events. God descends, uh, born of a virgin, as a baby, grows up to be a man, uh, dies on a cross, sacrificed for our sins, is dead and buried. After three days, rises from the dead. Forty days after that, he ascends into heaven, and he's coming again. When Jesus comes again and establishes his rule and reign on earth... Then he will make his enemies his footstool. So until that time, this whole redemptive plan is available to all who would believe and receive. And I want you to notice, as I asked you to highlight on the way through those verses, that verse 10 said, we have been made holy. And verse 14 says that we are being made holy. And so which is it? Well, we have been made holy is in the Greek perfect passive indicative tense of the word hagiazo, and it means we have, in fact, been made holy, done, established, finished. But yet, what does it mean then that verse 14, which is written in the Greek present passive of the same word hagiazo, is in a different tense. We are being made holy. So write down two words for those of you who take notes. The first word is position, and the second word is practice. Position and practice. When a person gets saved, that is, when a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are made positionally holy right then and there. Hagios. It means that you are set apart for God's purposes. And as far as God is concerned now, he sees you through the righteousness of his son. You have been made holy. It's a done thing. It's a matter of fact in terms of position. But there's still this responsibility to live out our lives in terms of practice by being holy. And so that's the difference between position and practice. And so position is what is reflected in verse 10. Practice is what is reflected in verse 14. Just the fact that you and I have been made holy, we've been set apart, we've been sanctified, does not mean that we no longer have the responsibility to live a holy life. We do. And in fact, other verses of the Bible tell us so. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. And in Revelation 22.11, in Revelation 22.11, it actually gives both connotations of position and practice when it says in Revelation 22.11, let him who is holy continue to be holy. So that just kind of summarizes it right there, doesn't it? Revelation 22.11, let him who is holy, meaning position, be holy, meaning practice. And so that's what we're called to. We've been made holy and we are to walk in in holiness. He goes on to say in verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds 
And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. You've got to love that verse, right? Some of your footnotes will tell you that he quotes there from Jeremiah 31, 34. Now, as I've said in the past, what does it mean that God will remember your sins no more? Is it that God is forgetful? No, I mean, he knows all things. It's not that he's forgetful, but it literally means he chooses to no longer hold your sin and my sin against us. Because through Christ, we've been forgiven. And so, as far as God is concerned, it's as good as forgetting it. He no longer holds it against us. We're forgiven. Sometimes it's hard for some of us to receive that forgiveness. And we, we do something that God doesn't do. We end up sometimes punishing ourselves even after the fact that He's forgiven us. We become our worst critics. And we beat ourselves up. And it's hard sometimes for people just to rest in the grace of God, in the forgiveness of our Lord who died on a cross for our sins, who said, it is finished. It is done. I have paid the price. You know, when he said it is finished, it's one word in the Greek. It's tetelestai. Tetelestai. Do you know when, when they would write tetelestai often in those days? They would write it over the door of a prisoner who had finished serving his time. Tetelestai. It is finished. Isn't that a picture of our lives? We're captive to sin. We're prisoners of sin. We're lost. We should be judged. We should, we should and are convicted. But over our prison door has been written to tell us die. It is finished. Our sentence has been completed. And as far as God is concerned, it is finished for us. And our sentence has been completed. And so, in verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, it's just a generic term, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Remember the drawings last week. I didn't bring them back this week, so sorry if you missed it. Go back and look in the archives. But the curtain separated the most holy place from the holy place. Nobody could have access to God. You had to go through the priest only and always. But now he's telling us, hey, you have confidence. Some translations say you have boldness now. This isn't an arrogant thing. It's just just the writer of Hebrews is saying you can just proudly and confidently now know that you can have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ He's open for us a new and living way. So there's this imagery here of just like the veil separated man from God in the old temple, Christ comes along and his body, in a sense, really was torn. I mean, the act of crucifixion is like the tearing of his body. He was whipped. He was scourged on our behalf. He was nailed to a cross. He was pierced for our transgression. So his body, in that sense, was torn. And so there's, there's this beautiful imagery of the curtain in the temple that divided God from man, remember at the same time of Christ's crucifixion, the Bible says was torn. That curtain was torn from top to bottom because in the same way that the body of Christ was torn for us so that we could have access to God, the temple was, the curtain was torn so that mankind could have access to God. This is just beautiful imagery here of saying the access to God now is freely given to all who would believe through Christ and what he's done. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of of God, which is Jesus, let us, now I want you to 
underlined. There's going to be five times that that phrase "let us" is used here. These are these are kind of directives now. He's, he's saying because of all that Christ has done, he and he and he begins to give some directives and exhortations to the church. Because of all that Christ has done for us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so I want you to consider that section there is kind of like a, a really big spiritual salad because there's a lot of lettuce there. All right. All right. Get everybody get that. All right. I know I'm just trying to humor your day. All right. So I'm going to put up for you. These are the five passages we just read. These are the let us verses here from verses 22 to 25 and just, just kind of putting them together from what we just read. The first one is let us draw near to God with faith. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You know why a lot of people don't want to approach God? It's because they feel guilty. But if you would just simply recognize that the one who forgives you is approachable because he's the one that can cleanse your guilty conscience. I mean, the enemy loves to play games with our minds. And it's this twisted thing that happens where we think, um, I can't approach God and ask for forgiveness. I feel too guilty. And, and, he, and he's going to be mad at me. So I, I don't want to ask him for forgiveness. I've asked him for forgiveness a thousand times. And so I, I'm not going to ask him again. And so I'm, I'm just going to... And then we miss out on that fellowship. And the, and the enemy loves to rip us off by, by you know, whispering those lies in our head that uh, you, know, you can't really be forgiven, and, and so don't even try again. And so we walk around with the guilt and shame instead of giving our guilt and shame to the one who forgives guilt and shame. Let us approach, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. This is what Christ has done for us. He's forgiven us. He's cleansed us from a guilty conscience, having our own bodies washed with pure water. It's symbolic of baptism there. Then the next let us there in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to the hope that we profess. Verse 24, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, part of our responsibility in the body of Christ is to do what we can to encourage each other to walk in love and to do good deeds. Now again, it's not that good works or good deeds save you. They don't. But good deeds should follow a heart that loves Jesus. You know, make sure that the engine that pulls the train is in the right order. Don't put the caboose in front of the engine. The, the engine is we're saved through grace, by faith, you know, and, and what Christ has done. So good works aren't the caboose ahead, all right? The engine is what leads. But the caboose, the good works follow like we good works don't get us saved but good week good works show that we are saved through faith in jesus christ and we should want to encourage each other to operate to walk in love and to do good things then in 25 verse 25 he says let us not neglect meeting together and so that's why you're here 
You know, I would assume that the reason you're here, you, you, you could have been in another million places, but you decided to be here. And I, and I appreciate you coming because it's important. Sometimes we don't even understand the necessity of just that fellowship. It's one of the reasons why I had another local pastor say to me, are you afraid that when you started, because he was considering doing live broadcast of all the service, he said, are you a little afraid that when you go live, when you're doing your live broadcast that nobody will show up? I'm like, you know what? People can make decisions as they want to. Um, I think it's another way to just get the gospel out and people around the world can watch live. But it should never be a substitute if you live in the area for being in fellowship with God's people because we need the body of Christ. And the one danger of, of the beauty of the internet and social media is it tends to lead to isolation. And people can just be in a room somewhere and, and you know, on their phone and tweeting and talking and texting and all this stuff. And you never have to see another living being in the rest of your life, you know, if you want to live like that. But you're going to deprive yourself of a wonderful thing that naturally happens when God's people get together. And I've heard people, and, um, and I think they're sincere when they say this, you know, but I've heard some people who are, who are like, well, you know, do I really need to go to church? I mean, I, I find Jesus, you know, and like in the woods and in the forest and like in waterfalls and, you know, things like that. Do I really need to, you know, anyway, so you know the whole deal. And I'm like, listen, I'm sure you can find God anywhere. I love to see God reflected in creation. I, I'm the first one to want to take a hike to a waterfall somewhere, but it is no substitute for being together in God's house with God's people because we need to encourage each other in, in, in our fellowship and not neglect meeting one another and then meeting with, with one another. And then the last thing there in verse 25 is and encourage one another, right? That's part of why we meet together because I hope we're encouraging each other, one another. And why all the more as you see the day approaching, it's capital D. What is that day? What's the day approaching? Yeah, the return of Christ. And, you know, the rapture is going to be the first thing that happens consistent with the return of Christ. But in other words, listen, we're living in days that get darker and darker as we get closer to the return of Christ. You don't have to look very far to recognize that in our world today. We're living in a very confused world. We're living in a very upside down world. We're living in a time where people are calling things good that used to be called bad just a generation ago. And we're living in a time when people are calling things bad that used to be called good a generation ago, which Isaiah said, right? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So we're living in a day that's fulfilling even what Scripture prophesied. So we're getting in a time where it's very confusing, very difficult. There's going to be increased persecution among believers. People will hate you just because you're a believer. You never even have to say a thing. They will just hate you for what you stand for as a believer. And so guess what? We need to come together every once in a while, right? And we just need to encourage each other and say, fight the good fight of the faith and run the race with perseverance and don't give up. As Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, don't you know that all the runners run the race, but only one gets the prize. Run the race in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who goes into competition goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Amen. That's why Paul wrote that. That's why he talks about forgetting was behind, pressing on, straining toward what is ahead, that I might receive the prize of Christ Jesus being called heavenward. And when he knew that his life was coming to an end, he said, there is there and now therefore in store for me the crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who long for his appearing. And so as we, as we gather together, we're to keep encouraging each other, reminding each other, keep running the race, keep persevering. There's, there's a crown at the end, there's a prize, there's an ultimate reward. It's Christ calling us heavenward, so don't give up. Let's finish out this chapter. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, 
but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I know that our time is about up and you look at this and go, how are you going to finish this in the next couple of minutes? Because this is a really heavy passage of scripture. It is, but I want to tell you my personal opinion about this section does not have to do with a falling away. And there are other passages that I do believe warn about apostasy, warn about falling away. There are different Greek words that are used, aphistemi, skandalizo, that talk about the potential for someone to fall away, to renounce their faith. I just don't think this is one of those. I think in the context of what he's saying is that for particularly the recipients of this letter, if you are a Jew and you believe in Jesus, but you decide that as you continue to sin, that you're going to fall back on the Judaic sacrificial system of the animal sacrifice, there is no sacrifice for your sins. You're trampling on the Son of God all over again. You're crucifying Him all over again. He said, if the sacrifice, basically, he says, if the sacrifice of Jesus is rejected, then there remains no other sacrifice for your sins. So if we deliberately keep on sinning, there, there, there's no, it, you're only going to be judged. You can't fall back on that sacrificial system. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, he's like, remember, when they rejected the law of Moses, what happened to them? Well, if you reject the, the greater sacrifice, which is Christ, then simply even rejecting the law, there's no sacrifice of sins for you left. And you're just insulting the spirit of grace. So I think in the context, that's really what, I don't think this is one of those passages that you know, should, should alarm someone who, who, you know, has trusted Christ as their Savior and knows um, Him as Lord and as Savior. I think in the context, this is a warning particularly to people who have relied on another system for their salvation. If you fall back on that, instead of moving forward with who Christ is, you, you've trampled the Son of God underfoot and you've treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light... When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Okay, get ready. I think we're going to see a resurgence of this kind of thing. We we have already. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. He's talking about, you know, particularly first century under Nero. I mean, you read some of the things Emperor Nero did in killing Christians, blaming them for burning Rome, using that whole incident as a way to persecute Christians. You know, he's, he's trying to encourage people, stand, stand firm. You're being persecuted. Your property's being confiscated. You're being mistreated. You're being thrown in prison, but you know you have a better and more lasting possession, a reward that is in store, that is greater. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe 
and are saved. Amen. The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace Him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you, too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not